Grace and peace to you from God the Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to start you out with a little clip here, a blast from the past. See if you recognize this one. September 8th, 1966, for those of you keeping score at home, first time William Shatner spoke those words, introduced the first episode of Star Trek. Now, there's been other episodes, other series, other captains, Picard and the like, talk about those things, but those, that's not the Star Trek that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the original Star Trek, the OG, um, if you will, the star that led some unlikely suspects to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world, to the King, um, Jesus, born in Bethlehem. That perfect gift given from God to save his people, save his creation, to save us from ourselves, save us from our sins, save us from the rebellion from that creator. Now before Jesus was born, the Bible describes life and the world is in darkness. That's how the Bible describes our lives before we come to the knowledge of Christ and before we open our hearts to Christ. And we're walking in darkness, kind of bumping around and running into things and not really having a, having a purpose. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when we discover Jesus... When we trust him, when we open our hearts to him, then every step we take is until that giant leap that we take into heaven, every step is about him and towards him and for him. So we should literally take that trek to boldly go where all few, all too few have gone on into God's kingdom, into God's life, into God's creation. This is a never-ending adventure, just like um, Captain Kirk always talked about, you know, the never-ending adventure. And we see it um, in the Magi's First, like I said, Star Trek that they went so, went for. And so, again, um, happy Epiphany Sunday to you all. This is the day we celebrate the visit of the Magi to the recently born um, King of the Jews. I think this is a story that we all probably know quite well. Um, even if it's just um, a quaint little bedtime story that we talked about with our kids. But um, this narrative, like all of them, I always tell you, is loaded, absolutely loaded with insightful um, challenging, provocative truths that reveal what the gospel is really all about. The narrative of the Magi, the wise men, really reveals what the gospel is all about. But before we dig into all of that, um, there's one thing that we, I like to do here, we like to do here, and that's separate fact from fiction, or what I like to call tradition from theology. Um, because there's some places where um, tradition breaks into our theology um, it kind of messes with things a little bit, turns things upside down. Now, we all know the Christmas story very well. Right? We know it so well that um, we can um, take things off the top of our heads because we've heard it so many times and we hear it every year. We've been hearing it since uh, we were children. Uh, we know for a fact that, um, that Mary and Joseph were in Nazareth, way north of Jerusalem, and then they had to go down to Bethlehem, right, because there was a census. They had to go down to be counted. So they went down through Nazareth, down from Nazareth through Jerusalem, and then down into Bethlehem. And now, so your quiz this morning is, um, simply put, let's ask a couple questions. Like, how did Mary get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? She rode on a donkey, right. That's our, but would it surprise you if I told you that that actually isn't in the Bible? 
Now, I say things like that because it's not one thing to blow your mind, but to um, let us know that there's times where tradition breaks into our theology. Now, whether or not Mary rode a donkey from Nazareth, she probably did. But the point is, it's part of our belief, it's part of our understanding of something that, that we've kind of just, you know, the narrative has kind of changed a little bit. Now, I use that example because it's quite harmless. But there are other places in the Bible that our tradition breaks into our theology and can mess with things a little bit, can kind of upset the apple cart. Now, Mary, again, that's not a big, a big deal. That's not a big thing that, for us to, to worry about. But there's some other things that, uh, that I do want to talk about this morning, some things that, um, that we, uh, again, tradition breaks into our theology. Sometimes it comes from our songs, right? Um, our song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, that's talking about the night that Jesus was born. You ever been around a baby being born? Silent Night? All is calm. Oh, yeah, all is calm. That's not the experience that I've had. That's not what I journaled when I took, you know, our two daughters were born. Or away in a manger. No crying he makes. Boy, that's cute. That's quaint. There are a lot of animals probably around him. And sometimes animals are cute and cuddly. And sometimes they can surprise us like this kid with this donkey right here. All is not calm in that car, right? (laughs) No crying he makes. Man, there's a big face there. So that kid does not look calm. So another thing to the point, um, one of the things that's come up in the last, oh, 10 or 12 years maybe is that we've started to understand that the Magi, that the wise men were not present at Jesus' birth, right? Um, so um, your nativity scene might be messed up a little bit. By the way, there were other animals maybe at the nativity as well. Sometimes I've, I've understood this may be a barn, so there's probably cats around. So if your nativity scene looks like this, maybe so that's a little more, how, a little more authentic on how your nativity scene should look, right? So now, the, the, the wise men, the Magi, were not present at the birth of Jesus, not, at, not like when the shepherds were. So again, if your nativity scene has the wise men there, um, you, I, I just recommend and, and that you take the wise men out and, and move them considerably further east throughout the house, somewhere else. When I first did that with my wife, it blew Barbara, it, dro- it drove her crazy. But hey, it's theologically correct. And so I did the, the logical thing that the spiritual leader in the house should do. I got the kids involved and said, hey, let's mess with your mom a little bit. Let's bring the wise men over there. And then we'll just bring them a little bit closer as, you know, we get closer to this Sunday right here. So, you know, okay, so now you might be wondering, okay, how do we know that, right? How are we so sure about that? Because I've just told you a couple things that maybe blew your mind a little bit. said, wow, I, I never realized that before. So there's some things that we look at, again, to make our theology straighten up. If we look at um, what I just read from you from Matthew chapter 2 is where we get the nativity or we get the uh, story about the Magi, the narrative for the Magi. In verse 11... I just want to point this out. So where we get our biblical truths from, where we get our teaching from, uh, it says the wise men came to the house uh, where the child was with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. This is important stuff. We're going to get back to this verse in a few minutes here. They opened the boxes of gifts they had brought for him. They gave him treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to highlight that word house for a second. Uh, The word house here in Greek is oikos, and it's basically, it means well, that means house. It means dwelling. So they were not in any other place now. They were in Bethlehem somewhere else. Um, Joseph is probably working at this point, and they're, they're living in a dwelling now. Uh, the other thing, now you might question that a little bit. The other thing we look at is that word child, uh, where the child was with his mother. Now, um, there's a couple of different words in the Greek language for the age of a child. This uh, word child means um, young child or young boy, young girl, um, as opposed to infant. 
that we do see, again, in Luke 2, when the angels are talking to the shepherds, um, in Luke 2, 12, it says this, it says, uh, this is how you will know him, these angels talking to the shepherds, so how you know him, you will find a baby wrapped in pieces of, of cloth and lying in a feed box. The angels are telling the shepherds, the good news is so you find a baby, that's the word for newborn, um, infant. Um, and maybe in English we say newborn, other languages have an actual word for that, like Japanese call their newborns babe, newborn babies akachan, which literally means red baby. So when we're talking akachan, like it is here in Greek, we know that that's an infant. We know that that's a newborn. Um, that word we see back there in Matthew uh, 2.11 literally means a, a young child, somebody that's a little bit older. So it's more likely that Jesus is somewhere between one and two. I know that's a widespread, somewhere between one and two years old. Additionally, we say there were, um, tradition tells us that there were three wise men. The Bible doesn't tell us that either. Again, that's kind of crept into our, our understanding and our, and our teaching in, in the last 12 years or so. Um, and I'm completely transparent about what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. Um, we just assume that there's three. That's how it started out anyways, because there's three gifts mentioned. But I said, with that logic, my kids must have like eight parents because they got all kinds of presents underneath the tree. So it was more likely, I'll talk about more likely how, how it came about, um, who was actually there and how it came about. Well, actually, let's do that now. It was probably more like a throng of, of people coming through there, um, a caravan. Um, do we have that picture of the Magi coming from the east, Jennifer? Um, the Magi coming from the east. So there's three dudes on probably horses. Traditionally, we say camels, but it's more likely that they were riding horses, but that's neither here nor there. But you see the caravan um, behind them in, in this artist's rendition of what might have happened. Because, first of all, people didn't travel individually, and not even in groups of three. Especially the treasures that these guys were bringing, bandits would have gotten a hold of them and taken care of them in, in no time flat. So there's a caravan going through. Uh, probably, uh, well, literally, we say the more the merrier. Um, so uh, these guys ride into Jerusalem, right? And uh, they've got families, they've got servants with them to set up tents, to cook meals, and all of that stuff that's going on. It's not three guys in sleeping bags and, you know, in a minivan going across. The, it, this is a, this is a, took them a while to get across here. And like I said, it's a caravan going through. And it's also, uh, Scripture tells us that uh, when they got into Jerusalem, that the entire city was upset. Well, three guys on camels aren't going to be even noticed in a city the size of Jerusalem. That caravan would have been noticed, especially the guys coming through and especially the way they were coming through. So now, who are these guys? This is the point I want to get to a little bit more this morning. Who are these guys anyway? Obviously, uh, they're astronomers. Um, the Greek word that we see here that we translate as magi, sometimes we say wise men, but the Greek word for magi is magos. And it literally means, it's where we get our word magistrate from. So these guys are um, astronomers, right? Uh, and they're probably rather good at it. They are literally the scholars of where they are right now. And um, how did they, how, you know, we say, how did they put that whole uh, connection together when they saw that star? How did they know that there was a Messiah at the end of that star? Um, the too, all too obvious answer and too um, kind of vanilla answer that I've heard people say is, well, God told them. And well, okay. I'm sure that was part of it, but, but if we play this out in human terms a little bit more, uh, these guys are probably from Persia, um, the, the Babylon area. Um, I'll go into why we believe that in a moment. But Persia uh, was where some of the children of Israel were exiled to. Um, a couple of weeks before Christmas, we talked about Daniel. Um, Daniel was taken to Babylon, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so now, so what, right? Okay, so they go there, and they started to become these magistrates. They started to become these wise men, these scholars in this area here. And now, so 
the people in that area were interested in knowledge, right? Knowing different things and adopting different things into their culture. Right now, sometimes we take a thesis statement or an idea and then we just try to prove why we're right and we don't listen to any other reasons why what we're thinking might be wrong. They were just the exact opposite. Um, these guys are, are educators, they're philosophers, so they're literally looking for reasons why they might be wrong and how they can change their way of thinking and how they can change what they're doing and the way they do things. So when another culture would come in, uh, especially um, the quality of Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'd want to learn more about that other culture and learn more about um, how they could adapt some of those things into their culture. So Daniel has the Old Testament. And the Old Testament tells us very clearly that when the Messiah comes on the scene, there's going to be a star that's going to point you in the right direction. So now these, these magistrates see this, right? These guys see this, and they understand these prophecies. They remember these prophecies because they were taught them, and it's part of their culture now. It's part of their understanding. They see this star, and they're like, wait a second. Didn't we hear something about this happening earlier? Okay, let's check that out. And now they said, you know what, we're going to follow that. We, we understand what that is. We understand who that is, and we're, we're going to go and find out about it. Now, the prophecy, again, clearly tells us that there's going to be a star when that Messiah is born. So these guys are magi, and like I said, short for magistrates. Um, a different thing that, came, that comes into our culture, and it's rather harmless, but I just want to be perfectly clear about who these guys are and what they're doing here and why they freaked out Herod so much. Um, we have a, a, a song, a hymn that we sing, uh, we three kings, but these guys weren't actually kings. These guys, and I told you this, and a person um, kind of reminded me about this a couple of uh, days ago or earlier this week. These guys were king makers. They weren't actually kings. So in the same way that Samuel anointed David, King David, and he anointed King Saul, these guys anoint new kings. Herod knows that these guys show up on the scene say where's the new king of the jews we've come to anoint him herod loses his mind freaks out he keeps pretty cool for a moment there but he basically loses his mind and uh, in his defense kind of for good purpose because he doesn't understand what they're doing he knows who these guys are and like i said this entourage that's with them it's man this is a big deal coming through here these guys have traveled a long way to come here to find this and we want to know exactly what he's taught what they're talking about here so these magi go and they find king of the Jews, the king of the universe. But it was a trip, a trek. But they found him. And when they found them, they were greatly impacted, right? They're likely, their lives were impacted for the rest of their lives, literally. So again, my purpose this morning, as always, is to put ourselves into this narrative. What can we learn from these three magi, these three wise men, in their actions, how can we adopt those actions into our lives? How can our lives be different because of what we're learning here this morning? So again, these people seeking out the Messiah, knowing full well who he was, but not knowing the complete impact on it. But they wanted to go there, they wanted to worship him, they wanted to acknowledge him. So then my question, or what we're going to talk about this morning, what are the steps involved in that? What is our personal Star Trek, what does that look like? What does it exactly involve, our way to the Messiah? I'm going to show you three things that involves, that based on what we learn from the Magi. The first thing it involves is it involves focus. Look at the Magi said and what they asked in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. It says, they asked the people this, 
Where is the child who has been born to be king of the Jews? We saw the star that shows he was born. We saw it rise in the sky in the east and have come to worship him. Okay, so now they're thinking, okay, this is the king of the Jews. We're in Jerusalem. These are the Jewish people. Surely everybody must be talking about this. Surely everybody must know about it. So they start asking people, and they're like, wait, what are you even talking about here? What, what, what is going on here? Imagine the focus, though, that this, the single-mindedness of these, of these, uh, these magi coming through. Um, it could, the trip would have easily taken four months to go from point A to point B. I've seen other scholars say that it, it like, more than likely took more than a year for them to get from point A to point B, following that star, right? Eight, or a year out of their lives to follow a star. But again, this is no ordinary star. Told about from, this star was told about from ages past, the promised king. So in point of fact, the birth of the Messiah was not something that was hidden. It wasn't just for a few. God literally hung a star in the heavens that rang out and signified, here is my son. And yet, the only ones who found Jesus were the ones focused on it, on, on God's big news, and there were other people around that, that completely missed it. My question for us is, how often do we miss God's big news? How, do we, how often do we miss God's big announcements because we're focused in on something else and not paying any attention? So the first step involves focus on God, on who he is. The second one is simply this, it involves following. So Jesus, like I said, is maybe one close to two years old at this point in history. So the Magi, you know, admittedly are late to the party, but hey, man, they showed up to the party. Here come the Magi, and they stop in Jerusalem to ask, uh, ask directions. Because again, surely everybody's going to know this, because this is the Messiah. And this is the start. They start asking verse, back in verse 2, where is a child born that's born king of the Jews? And the people just couldn't believe what they were talking about. They had no idea what these guys, who are actually really freaking us out right now, we have no idea what these guys are talking about or who you actually are, where you've come from. So Herod, he's not missing this. He understands exactly what's going on here. He drags out the chief priests. He drags out the, the teachers of the law and asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? That's what these guys are talking about. They're talking about the Messiah. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, I don't know how this went. I've heard two schools of thought, two arguments about it. I want to give these guys, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I heard one guy teaching about it. He said, you know, they probably had to go and spread everything out and try to figure it out from the beginning. You know, you take Deuteronomy, you take part of Numbers, you take Leviticus over here. We'll see. Anybody finds anything, let us know. My, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think they knew. I think they knew off the top that Micah says, you know, it's the, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But here's the point. That all aside, here's the point. Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. Six miles from Jer Jerusalem. How, how far is Gillette? Is that more like eight miles to Gillette? Is it six? So it's about the same as from here to Gillette, right? That's it. How long would it take us to walk? We'd rather drive. I know, I know, I know. But how long would it take us to walk? Not very long. Especially if somebody said the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. Maybe you guys should go check it out. And we're here to go check it out, right? They got a convoy of campers that are going into Gillette to try to figure this thing out. But again, it's not like um, Herod is confused here. If you look in your bulletin, I think that's in verse 4 in there. But then we see things like this. We see things um, in Scripture written like, uh, like we read on Christmas Eve in, from, uh, from John. Um, John 1.11 says that he came 
to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not recognize him. His own was not even interested in going there. So, the, you know, Herod says these guys say there's a new star representing the Messiah. Where is he supposed to be born? And they're like, Bethlehem. See you later. We've got to go sacrifice a, another calf or a sheep or something here. We're busy. We don't have time for this. So they press on, right? Magi knew what was waiting for them. They pressed on. So the third step of our Star Trek, our trek to the king, involves finding, right? Involves actually finding him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Some people have never found Jesus because they're looking in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. For example, the people in Jerusalem who had a six-mile trip they wouldn't walk across the street to see if what these guys were saying was true. So the best we could say about the people in Jerusalem at the time is they were apathetic. That's the best we can say. They essentially ignored the, uh, the news about the Messiah. They didn't have time. They didn't, weren't interested. What was it that was keeping them from going there? Or maybe it's more like Herod's reaction. Herod's, people have Herod's reaction. Herod had a reaction that he knew he saw this as a threat to his lifestyle. That Messiah idea was a threat to his lifestyle. He tried to have him killed. Because the Magi demonstrate um, the, the reaction that we should have. The Magi demonstrate the reaction that we should have when we find Jesus, when we're following him. First part of verse 11 says, They entered the house. I showed you this already. They saw the child with his mother, Mary. Here's the part we got to look at, though. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Fell on their faces in humility, devotion, adoration, reverence. But falling down before the king is only a start. A start for us, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. I don't want to bow down, I don't want to worship, no, I want to do my own thing. Six miles, ah, forget that. Falling down is only a start. When we focus on finding when we focus on following Jesus, you know, those Star Trek words that Shatner said might come into play for us, you know, to seek out a new life. Seek out a new life, to boldly go where no one or at least all too few have gone or choose to go. After they visit the child in the house and the wise men, you know, the story slip away so that Herod can't find them and won't know where the baby is and he loses his mind and acts like an earthly king only interested in his own security. But in the midst of all of that, Matthew applies truth to the situation, truth for us in the situation, because at the same time, in all of that, there's good news. There's that good news of biblical hope that comes through the story of the Magi. A new king has been born. Not only a new king, but a new kind of king. A king who will conquer death, not cause it. A king who will heal our hearts, not harm them. A king who will not exploit others for his purpose, but rather pour himself out for us and for his people. We use some of those churchy words, a king who will reconcile us to himself. Not only to himself, but also to each other. So in this narrative about the Magi, Herod doesn't get the last word. The new king gets the last word. 
This is the cradle. This is the manger that, that rocked the world. A Savior that they were well aware of has been born, who died for our sins and can now reconcile us back to God, make peace with God for us. That is the gift for all, for all who will receive him. The gift for all who will receive him. So my challenge for you today, my question, my thoughts for you today is, is will you fall on your knees today for him, to bow down and worship him, to focus on finding and following him? Focus on my... Trying, man. Fall on your knees. Focus, finding, and worship him. And finally, offer yourself to him. The same way that these magi did. Amen. Let's please stand with me.